Welcome to Season 7 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our new partnership with Last Word on Sports. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly presented by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week, we feature longtime and highly decorated DePaul women's basketball coach, Doug Bruno. When they talk about the playground legends of Chicago, I remember a great story once of watching a young Mark Aguirre turn him out at the Old Town Boys Club and a guy standing next to me watching the game was this guy named Cassie Russell, and nobody even knew who Cassie was. And Cassie had turned him out himself out of Carver High School. So the playground legends of Chicago are, are on the guy's side are legendary. His resume is too long to recite. Suffice it to say, Doug Bruno has manufactured a brilliant career in both men's and women's basketball, but his claim to fame has been as the head coach of the Lady Blue Demons for the last 36 years. He was elected to the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2022. He's taken his teams to 25 NCAA tournaments and four Sweet 16s. He was also a player for the legendary Ray Meyer and a men's assistant coach at DePaul and Loyola. And do you remember the hustle? So, Doug Bruno, tell me a story I don't know. Well, I got cut from my sophomore team at Quigley South, 79th of Western. I was, I was blessed to attend at Quigley South, play for a great high school coach, Dick Flags. And to be at 79th of Western from the ages of 13 to 17, 18, and right in the middle of, of, of the civil rights movement. And I got cut from my sophomore team. And that taught me to set my first goal ever. I will make I will make the varsity as a junior. Was one of the better hockey players in the school. And I think the coaches just wanted me to concentrate on hockey. I wanted to play basketball. So I spent about five hours in the gym every day for one full year and made the team as a junior. And, and I would have nothing without Ray Meyer offering me a scholarship at DePaul University. And then... After playing for Coach Ray Meyer, I was able to start. Freshmen weren't eligible. Three-point play didn't exist, so it was a very different kind of basketball. But I was able to start for a year and a half of my three years on the varsity. And then I was also able to play with a really, really special guy and very talented basketball player who came became a great coach. Joey Meyer was one of my teammates and later became one of Ray's assistants. So I got to actually play with Joey and for Joey Meyer. And then Gene Sullivan was the, you know, Gene helped me become an assistant on the men's college level. And he became the athletic director at DePaul. So without Ray Meyer, without Joey Meyer, without Gene Sullivan, there is no history of Coach Doug Bruno. You were delivering newspapers as a kid. So, and the story goes that your uncle introduces you to the sport of kings, horse racing, and you've been in love with it ever since. But tell me a story I don't know about your first visit to the track and subsequent story you had to tell your mom. I was, I was blessed because, I was blessed because I, I got exposed to the South Side of Chicago at 79th and Western between the ages of 13 and 7th, 18th, basically. But my, my family moved to Homewood, Illinois, 
my grandfather, Leonard, who I, I love and cherish, actually was coming out of, of a great university called Stateville. And he, he made a great life of himself after his incarceration at Stateville Prison. And he was, became an electrician, but he lived in Homewood. So my dad and mom moved us to Homewood and little to be known, do I know, and this is now in seventh grade, sixth, seventh and eighth grade, we move out there and little do I find out that there's this racetrack called Washington Park Racetrack is in Homewood. Washington Park for the American Derby. 29,000 are on hand for the seven horse affair and they make Needles, number two, the favorite. The American Derby is a rich one, and there they go, off in the mile and three sixteenths classic. It's worth $159,000, which buys lots of hay. Now, Washington Park was owned by the Everett family, Marge Everett. They, they moved, they sold Washington and moved to L.A., and I think it's Hollywood Park. I think the Everett's were Hollywood Park in, in L.A. after owning Washington Park on the south side of Chicago. So Washington Park was there before Arlington ever existed. And so a little, you know, we're in sixth, seventh grade, and what do you do? You find Washington Park. So I'm, I'm delivering papers, making 90 cents, you know, making 90 cents on one paper route and a buck 50 on another paper route. And one paper route would be in the morning and one paper route would be in the afternoon because there was four Chicago dailies. So in the morning you deliver the Tribune, the Sun-Times, and then in the afternoon you deliver the, the Chicago Herald American. First it was the American, the Herald American, and then it become the Chicago Today. But then you have the Daily News you deliver in the afternoon. So if you deliver it in the morning, deliver it in, then one paper route paid me 90 cents, another paper route paid me about 50. And after I got the second paper on it, my brother and I didn't even tell my mother because we had to give our money to my mom. So I wouldn't tell my mom about the second paper route, the 90 center. And we actually bought, my brother and I bought a, our first pizza and a pizza joint called Aurelio's. Joe Aurelio started Aurelio's Pizza in downtown Homewood. So we snuck our first 90 cents, bought the pizza, you know, bought a 90 cent pizza from Joe Aurelio's and never told my mom about the second paper route. So now we go over to, to, to Washington Park Racetrack, you know, five or six of us, young punks, seventh graders, eighth graders. And, and all of a sudden we figured out how if we put two bucks together, you know, you can have some guy go up the line and, and you make a bet. So you see a, a 30 to one shot or it must've been a 32 to one shot because I remember it paid 74 bucks. So that means it had to be a, a, a 31 to one shot. You know, made, that pays 32 plus the two is 34 plus chance. So at any rate, you know, we put together a, a $2 bet and, and it pays 74, 75 bucks. So 74 and change. So big smart, smart guy, me, I walk into the kitchen table and give my mom her buck 50 from the paper route, pocket the 90 cents from the other paper route, and then say, Ma, you know, you, you keep teaching us this, this, you, know, you gotta work hard to make a living to, to survive in this world. And I slapped the 75, 74 and changed down to the kitchen table. And, and, and she said, where'd you get that? And I said, well, a couple of us fellas went over to Washington Park racetrack and we placed a bed and I didn't have to deliver any papers and I just got paid 74 bucks. She just, she hit me so hard. I flew out the kitchen door. I mean, <laughs> she, she just, she just hit me 
and, and grab that money. You know, she was a Southern Baptist. She converted to Catholicism, but she grew up a Baptist. And, and she, she said, that's sin money. You know, you, 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 don't you ever think that sin money is, 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 is the right kind of money. And of course, we smart kids did go back to Washington Park and found out how quickly your $2 get thrown down the drain. You know, mm -hmm. we got lucky maybe the first time we got two bucks, but we found out faster. Two bucks don't go very far at the racetrack. You know, let me tell you a story because the first time I ever went to the racetrack was Washington Park with my late friend, Ronnie Stroll and his dad. His dad was a big horse guy. And so we went and I'd never gone to thoroughbred racing. This was harness racing. And like you, I will never forget the bet that I made. We split a $2 bet. I gave him a buck. And the uh, it was a long shot, a 17 to one shot named Mary Kiwi. And it won. And I got $17. And you know, back in 1968, 17 bucks was a whole lot of money. Well, after that, we would start go to, going to the track. And, you know, I know Washington burned down, but we would go to uh, Sportsman's Park, which was a great place, Hawthorne. Maywood. Yeah, I got hooked for a while. I'm just curious now. Have you ever consulted Eddie Olchek about betting? No, I haven't. I mean, I really, <laughs> I really, my mom taught me a pretty good lesson. And actually, you know, a couple quick losses taught me a pretty good lesson. And I Before we get into your long and illustrious college basketball career, you were the head coach of a team called the Chicago Hustle. And a lot of people may not remember it, may not even know it, it was a women's basketball league debuted in 1978. It lasted only three years, but it broke quite a barrier, didn't it? At first, you really wouldn't have known that a page of sports history was being written here Sunday night. There was no unusual fanfare, no wild ovations as the players were introduced. They treated the 1900 fans to a teeth-grinding, edge-of-the-chair game. But the Gems lost anyway as Chicago squeaked by in the last 34 seconds of the game to win it 123-120. I bet that this league was really gonna happen. The team had a general manager by the name of Chuck Shriver. He was a publicity director for the Cubs. And the White Sox. A publicity director for Bill Veck and the White Sox. Right. And John Garrity was the guy that put this whole group together. John got Chuck to come over to the hustle and Chuck got us a contract with WGN television. So we're playing on WGN television, Jimmy Durham, did the play-by-play, -play. Vince Lloyd was his backup when Jimmy had a Bulls game conflict. And then Johnny Red Kerr was our, was our color analyst. So Shriver had contacts with the local Chicago media. We, were at, we had daily beat writers from the Chicago Sun-Times and Tribune. We played in Alumni Hall, averaged three to 4,000. The Women's Basketball Hall of Fame inducted the entire league into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in the trailblazer category. I don't think the WNBA would be here without the, what the WBL did. The WBL lasted only three years. Uh, you left after two uh, seasons and it was marred with some controversy. So tell me a story I don't know. What happened? What's fact? What's fiction? Well, in my younger and more vulnerable days as a coach, I was a little bit wild. I was a little bit rambunctious with the officials in that day, threw a chair across the floor long before Bob Knight ever even thought about it, and actually um, went after an official physically, which was a wrong thing to do, something I really regret. It was really uh, immature and stupid. By the time uh, 1990 rolled around, I had probably matured enough that I don't think I've had more than a couple technicals in the last 30, 33 years. Mm -hmm.
When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution. Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-497-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. 888 for Mr. Duct. That's 888-497-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. I wish people today, younger people, knew exactly who Ray Meyer was. You played under the legendary DePaul coach who took this school to a very celebrated Final Four in 1979, the one that opened now all of our eyes to Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Remember that? Absolutely, I do. Until his renaissance, you know, at, at, you know which really started with you know, I'll get back to that renaissance or talk about the final four team, but it started a couple of years earlier with a really great group. That team went to the elite eight in 78. And that's the team that set the table for, you know, coach Myers renaissance. How do you feel right I now? feel great. I feel like I was born again. You are born again. I'm a young coach today. But between 44 and 74, you know, that's 30 years. And Ray was a great coach. That's when Ray coached the likes of us. People don't understand what Ray Meyer did for college basketball from 44 to 74. What made you decide to go into coaching? Because it's a profession you've been in now for over 50 years. You started very young. Talking about all these great players, I don't mention my high school coach, Dick Flays. You, you get exposed to great coaching by Dick Flays. Then you get coached by Ray Meyer. And then I get offered a job to be an assistant at Francis Parker. And so that's how it all started. So there was a time when you were the men's assistant coach at Loyola before returning to coaching the women at DePaul for a couple of years. Then there was the hustle before the league folded. So tell me a story I don't know. What transpired to make all of that happen? Part of my job as an assistant athletic director at DePaul, I was told one day you're going to go coach the women. So I did. My captain was the best captain I've had in 48 years of coaching. Her name was Jean Lenti Ponsetto. She was a, Jeannie Lenti was a captain of the team that I was told to coach. So I coached the women for two years at DePaul. Two years a woman, two years of high school boys, all right, Francis Parker and St. Vincent's of Lamont, two years of women at DePaul, two years of hustle women, then 
And when Gene Sullivan offered me the men's job as the associate men's coach at Loyola Chicago, I took it and went back to the men for eight years as the associate men's coach at Loyola Chicago. We had a really good run, including a Sweet 16. I'll talk to that in a minute, but that's how the, the story goes. That got me back to that got me back to Loyola Chicago. Yeah, it was it was a great it was a great experience. But the fans really went wild when the time ran out and it was certain that the Ramblers had in fact rambled the victory. The students then took to the streets for an impromptu celebration. Our first recruiting class was Alfred Hughes. So actually Jean Lenti Ponsetto had moved in administration. She offered me the men, the woman's job in 1984 after having been at Loyola four years. I said, no, nah, Jean, I gotta stick it through with these guys. I think we got something going at Loyola and I wanna stick it through and stuck it through another four years. We had the great year in 85. And then um, she offered the job to me again in 88. And, and I, I, th that time around, I said, yes. I'm one of the only coaches to have never moved from their hometown. And I, I, I thank Loyola for that. I thank Gene Sullivan. I thank Gene Linti Ponsetto, all these great people that through the years, Dr. Patricia, yours, that English teacher, they grabbed me back to class. You had some very, very good teams at DePaul and some very good players, one of whom, Sarah Kustak, who was a guest on this podcast last year. And your ties with her remain very strong, aren't they? Very strong. I mean, Sarah's just a another one of those captains that was just a great, she's a great player, but a great captain and a, and a, and a, a person that's just got that ability to be friends with everybody and still make people accountable at the same time. And that's not very easy to do. And just, 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 just a good, strong, tough woman. Hey everyone, my name is Sarah Kustak and welcome to the Blue Demon Exchange. I was fortunate enough to play on the DePaul women's basketball team, had a brief stint uh, as a assistant coach with head coach Doug Bruno. And DePaul University is such a special place for me as is the women's basketball program. She was uh, just a joining coach and, and, you know, and, and people mistake her her TV looks for, don't understand her toughness. I mean, I, I watched her get take stitches and come back and play in the same game. I saw her get a tooth knocked out and, and, the, and the trainers stick the tooth back in and, and, you know, or, and, and come back and play in the same game. So she was also a very tough player. Her brother, Zach, who played a great quarterback at, at Northwestern. It doesn't surprise me at all that she was selected as the first female to be a, a color analyst, a full-time color analyst at an NBA franchise with the Brooklyn Nets. And so she's always very, very special to us, as, as are so many of our players through the years at DePaul. You know, I, I can't, you know, I start thinking about DePaul players and you start mentioning one and you're, you're, you're going to get in trouble for not mentioning other people. But I mean, when they talk about the playground legends of Chicago, and, you know, I, 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 I remember a great story once of watching a, Mark, a young Mark Aguirre turn him out at the Old Town Boys Club, at, at, you know, which was a Taylor and Racine. And a guy standing next to me watching the game was this guy named Cassie Russell, and nobody even knew who Cassie was. And Cassie had turned him out himself out of Carver High School. So the playground legends of Chicago are, are on the guy's side are legendary. Well, speaking of really outstanding talents, you had one in Anisha Morrow. I mean, she just had a fabulous year, but there's a story behind the story and it involves her mom. Morrow is left alone. 
Mott was late arriving. It's 45 for Anissa Morrow. You can just see the smile on her face. She knows it. She's so happy with her performance in the second half. 45 points, 13 rebounds, five steals. I mean, what else is there to say? She's one of five or six young girls and, and, and her family. We recruited her to come to DePaul. When I returned in 88, 89, she was one of our first recruiting priorities and ended up having to go to a junior college. So we recruited her first time out of Harlan and then second time out of West Art Community College. And she went to Nebraska and she had a big, great career at Nebraska and, and married her husband, Ed Morrow. And he and Nafisa found each other at Nebraska and married and had a, and have a beautiful family. And Anissa is one of their younger daughters. And so Nasla's on our team too. So it's not just Anissa Morrow, but Nasla's on the team as well. So Nasla and Anissa Morrow did say yes to DePaul after Mama Nafisa said no to us many years back. Well, you still have a history with national teams. That dates back to 2006, culminated with a role as the assistant for the team that went to the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. But again, in 2009, you were an assistant for the women's national team. You made a trip to Washington, and it resulted in quite an encounter with the top general of this country, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Tell me a story I don't know about that meeting and what resulted. Well, Gen General Martin Dempsey, you know, was a former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And, and Carol Cal and Jim Tooley, the people that run USA Basketball, do a great job of when you represent the United States government in sports, it's not the same as being in the military. And I don't want anybody to ever think that any of our athletes are serving in any way, shape, or form, are the service of us as coaches, or are we as athletes, in any way, shape, or form, scratches the surface of what our men and, and women are doing as uh, members of our military services. So I wanna make sure that's very, very clear. But at the same time, they do, in, in USA Basketball and, and all US Olympic people that represent the United States in sport, they, they do a great job of educating you and making sure you, that while you are not a member of the military, you are an extension of the military and the fact that we're gonna represent the United States of America across the world. So first thing they tell you with USA Basketball when you sign on, and I was blessed to be the head coach of the 18 and under, 19 and under uh, national teams in 06 and 07, before I was on the national team with coach Gino Auriemma, and uh, we, we won world championship gold in 2010, Olympics in 12, world championship gold in 14, and then gold again with the Olympics. So four national team championships. First thing they tell you when you sign up though is, we don't win silver with USA basketball. When a track athlete finishes second at the Olympics, and gets a silver medal, they won silver and they won bronze because it's so hard to do to finish second or third. But in the eyes of USA basketball, it's gold or nothing. So, you know, they tell you, you don't win silver when you're coaching for USA basketball. There's only gold. So you're, you're, you're educated about what the expectations are and then you're educated about military service. So they try to leave from the country by spending time in DC, some kind, everybody thinks you train all the time in Colorado Springs, not true. We trained at, at West Point, we've trained at the 
Naval Academy in Annapolis. We've trained in Washington, D.C., so we can visit the military hospitals there, um, Walter Reed and Bethesda. I mean, so, you know, we, we train out of D.C. So we're at Arlington Cemetery as part of what we do, and we're going to stand at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and and, and in walks General Dempsey, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs. And he has us line up, our 12 players line up across from, and it, it turned out to be they were all members of the Army that day, so they were soldiers, and he had them lined up face to face with about, about two feet apart, a foot apart, Maybe it was three feet apart, enough for having social space. And then General Dempsey went into military speak and, and shoot, all right? And right away, his, his soldiers went immediately to attention, saluted, and then, you know, then they reached into their pocket and they pulled out an American flag and they handed that American flag to our members of our 12. And they did it in military style. And I, I can't do it on the radio. I can't show how they, they did it to command, to General Dempsey's command, all right? They handed the, the flags. And then General Dempsey, you will be representing the United States of America, though it will be in sports. You are an extension of the military and you please be understood that we expect the best behavior from you. And yes, we expect you to bring home goals. Okay, then we, he says, well, I would like you to follow me now. And we get on a bus. And he says, I'm going to take, first we listen to the taps being played to the, the tomb of the unknown soldier. And then General Dempsey says, I'm, I want you to follow me. We're going to go out to, to section 60. Uh, you need to come with me to section 60. So on the bus, he, he stops at section 60. And section, section 60 is where our, our young men and women in the military have to be laid to rest in a cemetery. They're laid to rest in section 60. Mm -hmm. General Dempsey says, we're going to get off right now. And I'm going to want you just to walk around and spend some time looking at the tombs and names and ages of these young men and women in section 60. Then he brings us to attention. And you know, I, I'm crying right now, but he was crying. This is a, a United States General Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He says, I'm going to share with you a military coin right now, my military coin. And whenever a member of the armed services, a lower ranked person does something for a higher ranked person, the higher ranked person generally has a coin made that they can share with the lower ranked person for having done good work for them. And I guess the highest ranked coin, I guess, is, is the President of the United States. Second highest ranked coin is the Secretary of Defense. And I think the third highest ranked coin is the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Dempsey's coin. He says, my coin, you know, we're standing here right now, and I want you to understand that this Section 60 is inhabited by my men and women who under my watch, I lost. We lost. The United States of America lost, and he's crying. And then he says, I want to share this coin with you. And he shares with each and every one of us the General Dempsey Chief, Chief, Joint Chiefs of Staff coin. And I walk around with it in my pocket every single day. It never leaves my person. So at any rate, that was um, General Dempsey. He's, he's since replaced Jerry Colangelo as the 
uh, chairman of the board of USA Basketball. Jerry Colangelo got USA Basketball really back on the right path in which now on the women's side, we've won gold ever since 92. We've won seven straight golds. I think it's seven straight. And uh, the men are back winning gold as well, thanks to Jerry Colangelo. Now um, General Dempsey's replaced um, Jerry as the chairman of USA Basketball. If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. We resume with Doug Bruno on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. This last June, an ultimate honor for you, Coach, induction into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, an honor well-deserved. And what I found so interesting is the person who presented you. You get two people. You get an escort and a presenter. So your escort can be anybody. And Jean Lentiponsetta was my escort because, again, she was one of the best captains we ever had. And, and we've been fighting the fight for women's rights in athletics, NCAA athletics, for many, many, many years. And, and she was you know, my boss here for 18 years. And Gina Oriema and I had been together with USA Basketball from, you know, for four, four gold medals. We don't win any gold medals. It's always the players that win the gold medals. But we were together. Like I said, I was with USA Basketball before I was with Gino with two teams I coached myself. I guess I passed the USA Basketball litmus test. We won gold and never lost. And then Gino asked me to be his assistant with the world, the national teams. And we had a great run from 2008 until 2016. And I love how competitive he is. He's a competitive guy, man. I love that about him. And he's the most positive guy. I've, I've, I, he might be the most positive guy I've ever been around. Like if he coached our team, we would be really good. So Gino presented me, you have to be a member of the Women's Basketball Fame to be your presenter. And Gino um, graciously accepted my um, ask of being my presenter. As I mentioned in the open, your resume is vast. It includes starting a women's basketball camp. I believe it was in 1980. It is still going very strong today, isn't it? It is. And, and you know, we started doing camps back in seven with a women's basketball team here at DePaul in 77, you know, in 77 and 78. And then I was looking to do overnight camps and I was, I was looking for a partner and David Rosengard became my partner. David and I uh, were together for um, 40 years at our overnight camp venture, the Doug Brill Girls Basketball Camps. And then, you know, we have sold the camp, sold the name to United States Sports Camps of America, a really quality company uh, that, that, that actually started out of Northwestern University with um, Charlie Hovler and Jay, George, Jason, his son, but we sold the camps. But um, Beth Creamy and Rody is uh, one of our camp workers that worked our camps for 33 years. So she's now running the camps. The curriculum is exactly the same, the Doug Bruno girls basketball camps. But whereas I ran the day-to-day -day operation of the camp for the first 40 years of the, of the camp operation, now it's in year 46 and Beth runs it. I still do come to camp once and get, you know, deliver a couple of speech or two and do sign autographs and take pictures. But for 43 years of those camps, we ran them. I ran them personally myself on a day-to-day -day basis, was in the gym with the 8, 10, 12, 14, 16-year-old kids and love coaching 
camp basketball as much as I'd love coaching the national team. If you could teach an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old's footwork, every fundamental game of basketball starts with fundamental footwork. So people who are listening to this might wonder a little bit about your voice. It's more gravelly than Harry Carey's. When did it change? What happened? You sound like you just coached a game. Everybody thinks I, I have this voice because I yell at my players all the time. <laughs> but really, in, in 1983, I was doing camps out at North Central College. It's a, North Central is another school that we still do camps at, been very good to us. And they didn't have a sound system. They were renovating their old basketball facility. There were jackhammers in the facility. So stupid me just screamed over the noise. And anybody knows anything about vocal cords, you know, if you start scraping those cords, and those cords start scraping together, they sound like sandpaper. Nodules develop and polyps are cancerous. I have no polyps, but basically, my vocal cords have turned into sandpaper and that's what you listen to. And at the same time, you know, when you coach games at DePaul, we have one of the best bands in America, the Screaming Demon, Blue Demon Band, and they're great, but they're also very loud at every time out. So when you're talking in, a, in, in at any one of our women's games, you're, you can't talk during a timeout. You have to talk over the Screaming Demon Band. So between the jackhammers at North Central in 83 and a lifetime of Screaming Demon Band, you know, that's where the voice is going. So here you are in your early 70s, and then I look around, and I see Jim Beheim at Syracuse. He's still at it. He's in his late 70s. Greg Popovich with the Spurs is in his 70s. And I'm sure I'm missing a few coaches who are in their 70s. But how much longer do you want to do this? I really believe that the day you start counting your days, when you start counting the days till you're retired, you're already retired. And I love what I do. There's three reasons why we coach. Number one, the relationships and development of your athletes. You know, my, my number one job is the development of female leadership, George. And, and people wonder, why are you such... All the jaded male fans out there that don't think women can play, you walk in the shoes of a young female athlete one day, you know, and you'll, you'll find out pretty quickly that the head, heart, and guts of an athlete totally transcends gender. So, you know, it's the number one reason you coach are your athletes and the development of the leadership of your athletes. But you also coach because I love I loved the relationships and, and the leadership aspect. I love to teach. And I loved competition. So those are the three reasons we still coach. And the second we start feeling that we're losing it in any one of those areas, then we'll stop coaching. But that's why I love to coach and, and God willing, I'm able to be here on this earth. You know, that's what I'd rather be doing. I'd rather, I don't really feel I've worked a day in my life. Coaching isn't work, it's hours. You're spending 80, 90 hours a week in your, in your pursuit of excellence as a coach, but you're not working a day in your life. It's a lot harder delivering newspapers, carrying golf clubs than, than coaching. I ask this final question to all my guests, coach. If not for basketball and coaching, what would you have been? I probably would have been that mild matter reporter from a great metropolitan newspaper. <laughs> I can see you in the Superman costume. <laughs> I'm not trying to say I'd be Superman. I'd be, I'd be, you know, the, the, the Clark Kent reporter part of that, not the Superman part of that. So I'd, I'd be, I'd be still trying to hang on as a, 
you know, and, and all the newspapers say we're short-handed today and we're staff, losing staff every day and we don't have enough space, but I'd probably still be trying to hang around, trying to do some of that. Well, I think that there are a lot of people that might call you a Superman of a coach. This has been a real treasure. Thank you, Doug Bruno, for telling me a story. I don't know. Thanks, George, for having me. My thanks to the Baseball Hall of Fame, WGN-TV, baseball announcer Roger Hoover, CBS Sports, and Polygram Pictures for those spectacular highlights. And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics, and to our new partner, Last Word on Sports. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them at mrductcleaning.com. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.